0: Hi, everyone. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by the amazing Maggie Crowley, uh, the director of product management at Drift, uh, previously at TripAdvisor, um, previously uh, Olympic speed skater. Um, so I am super excited to have her here. Um, we're going to dive into lots of things uh, about how Drift stays close to their customers uh, and how they focus on outcomes, not outputs. Um, but Maggie, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Of course. Of course. Thank you. Um, great. So let's sort of dig into it. Um, I know you uh, you have built uh, your own podcast. We talk about a lot of these uh, things too. But I love to sort of start out sort of right to the, uh, to the point, I guess. Um, so Drift, and I, I know um, everything that you do focuses around being really close to your customers, um, really focusing on uh, adding value for them. What is being customer driven or being sort of customer centric? And it's sort of a buzzword in uh, in product. What does that mean to you? And what does that? How does that sort of translate into uh, how you do things at Draft?
1: Yeah, it is kind of a buzzword, and I think it's something that a lot of product teams talk about. But I think when when I think about what being customer centric means, that means that the problems that our customers have, or the opportunities that they have, or the things that they care about in their day to day. That means more than anything to have to do with our product, anything to have to do with what we're working on, our roadmap, you know, our goals, whatever. That stuff comes second and, and is in service of our customers. And I think it's really easy as a, as a product team, especially at a startup or, you know, a really well-established company, to, to feel like you know better and to feel like the product that you're building is special and it's important and it's great. But like, That only exists because it's in service of your customers. And to me, being truly customer-centric is, of course, there's things like how often you talk to them and how well you're able to empathize with them and all that kind of stuff. But it's also at the end of the day, are you putting their needs first? And are you being really honest about what they need from you and from your business? I think especially in these times, like getting really clear about that is the thing that matters the most and to me, what would really signal someone being customer-centric.
0: Got it. Got it. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like you say, how, uh, how it's easy to say, but really hard to do. I think this is actually, you have a, an episode on, uh, on the bill podcast about sort of exactly this thing that it's, um, a lot of people, you know, everybody wants to be customer centric, but it's much harder to do in practice. Yeah. Um, then, uh, then there's sort of in, in theory, what are some of the things that you put in place, um, adrift to help, to help ensure that happens, because I know obviously Drift has gone through incredible growth, uh, and I'm sure yeah. the things you did at the beginning is sort of very different than than now.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's one of the hardest things is that in in some senses, I think when we were small, I joined Drift when we were about 80 people. I think it was really easy to be customer centric when you're small and and or when you have a smaller number of customers because you can just talk to them, right? Like you can get a good sense of who they are and what they need. Um, but I think as we've scaled. It's been challenging to keep that level of sort of like one-to-one customer centricity. And that was our sort of original model, was that everyone, every PM, you know, every member of the team, regardless of what function they were in, is pretty much talking to the customer every day. And so in, in the beginning, that was sort of what we did, right? That's how we stayed customer centric. So we just spoke to them. But now as we've, as we've grown and scaled and we're, I think over 360 people at this point what's different is that we've had to come up with ways to be to still have that sort of one-to-one customer centricity but to scale what we're learning across the different teams because i think what's been hard is you know every single pm and designer is still talking to customers every week we actually report on how many hours we spend every week talking to customers um so we have that, but then you you sort of lose touch with maybe your customer success team or the sales team and like maybe what they're hearing. They don't see that reflected in the product team as the PMs grow and they specialize. So mm-hmm. a couple of the things that we've been doing um, more recently as we kind of like spread out wider is now we have a layer of product leadership. So for example, I'm in charge of is not the right word, but I'm sort of the DRI or the directly responsible individual for our enterprise customers. So anyone on the customer success team or the sales team or whoever can come to me with their feedback and make sure that they can ask me like, what are we working on? What, what's, what am I hearing? What matters? And so we've kind of like centralized some points of contact to make it easy for everyone to understand. And then what I'm doing is just getting on the phone every week, talking to enterprise customers and making sure that their whole holistic set of concerns is heard. If that makes sense.
0: Got it. Yeah, absolutely. That's, it is uh, I think certainly a, a common thing, right? That as you as companies grow, they the trend is certainly away from the customer rather than uh, towards them. So on those calls, so you mentioned a. It's really interesting to me that you have a metric which is specifically hours spent, um, you know, talking to customers. That's sort of a forcing function, right? Is is that something that yep. you have uh, goals around? Or do you have KPIs around that that are?
1: Um, um, I think so. It was started by our head of design. Um, just to get a sense of he, I think he calls them user exposure hours, just to get a sense and make sure that we're all like that 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 it is happening. And when when we started out, we had a goal. There was, I can't remember exactly what it was, but there was some industry standard or some kind of like report somewhere that had said, Oh, you should be spending X amount of time with your customers over this over a month or something like that. And so we started surveying and we just realized that we were like, 10 times doing 10 times more than we needed to. So we, I don't think we set a goal, but we definitely have a floor, which is, I know yeah, right. I definitely look to see, you know, I feel bad if I ever put a zero, I like quadruple what I do the next week to make sure <laughs> that I'm not in the like bad bucket. But then I also look to see if the people on my team, if they're making sure they're not putting zeros, cause I want to make sure we're constantly talking. So it's a little bit more of like a, for, a forcing you to make sure that you're doing it versus like needing to hit a target.
0: Got it. Got it. This is kind of a gut check for uh, yeah. for making sure that you're close. Got it. And, th- and yep. then personally, you're speaking, I said every week you're speaking to, you know, enterprise customers uh, around to make sure you're holistically understanding mm-hmm. uh, that needs. I think that's really interesting. And I know this is actually something that you've talked a little bit about is really sort of seeing the importance of sales and product and sort mm-hmm. of other uh, components coming in or business functions coming into uh, the product role. What's typically sort of the context of those calls? Because I know a lot of people say, "Okay, we talk to customers all the time. You know, we're doing support, we're doing sales." But in, in your role, what do those conversations typically look like?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I I think it's really important to step out of the specific product that you're working on or the specific problem that you have. Maybe not every time you talk to customers, but to do that pretty frequently because. Your customers, at the end of the day, especially if you have a big product team, they don't care about the like tiny slice that you work on as a PM. Like They care about the thing that they're getting out of your product overall, and the way that you organize your product team may not have anything to do with, and hopefully, hopefully it does, but it may not have anything to do with the way that the customer experiences your product. So I think it's really important to spend some time saying, forget what product I work on. Help me understand how you're using Drift, for example what are your big goals for this year? Like our customers are people in sales and marketing. So it's like, what are the new campaigns you're running? Like, what are the new, like, what are your revenue goals? What What's your funnel goal? Like, what kind of conversion rates are you trying to get? Like, I'm trying to understand from them, like, what are, what do they care about in their jobs? What is important for their business? And then it's on me to translate that into product, but at least I can understand from them, like how, how can I understand like who they are and what they care about? Cause I think that's the most important thing for me to know as a product lead.
0: Got it. Yeah. That totally makes sense. And sort of a nice, uh, nice transition into the uh, the other theme that we were sort of going to talk about here. You can tell you've done this before, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, no. which is, you know, focusing around, um, around outcomes rather than outputs. And and this yeah. idea, which I know you talked about a lot, which shift is not done, which is something that I think, uh, a lot of product teams either don't necessarily do it intentionally, but they set KPIs and they set measurement around, like, did we ship the thing that we said we were going to ship rather than did we actually sort of, you know, measurably improve, improve the customer's life? Did we deliver value? So I'm, I'm curious, sort of two things there. What a, like, what does that mean? Like, and in the context of sort of understanding these, these customers goals and sort of how does that translate into product? But then, you know, how do you measure that? How does, how does that actually become a sort of a habit at, at drift?
1: Yeah. With this one, I I get it, right? Like I understand how it feels more in your control and more appropriate to measure whether as a product team, you did the thing that you said you were going to do. And I think that's important, but to me, there's a gap between like you could conceivably do the thing that you said you would do, but your customer might not use it not like, it may not work for them. It may not create the outcome that you think it should have created. And so if you don't measure yourself on whether or not it worked, whatever the thing was, then you're sort of giving up your responsibility for that outcome. And you're saying, well, I did what I had to do. It's on someone else, some other team, some other, it's like out of my control that, that the customer didn't get what they were looking for. And I get why that's really attractive as a goal because it's safer but at the end of the day, you're there to make your customer successful in whatever, you know, B2B, B2C, whatever. So if if you don't measure yourself on whether you actually achieve that, then you're sort of cheating or you're making excuses in a way. And you might never actually hit that thing. Whereas if if instead you set a goal that's like, I really want my customer to get this outcome to like, again, to use, to use Drift, for example, like working with a marketing team, like, to get this amount of pipeline or whatever, if you set that as your goal, then your team is gonna think more, is gonna be smarter about what they're thinking about doing because they know that it has to actually move that number. And you, you'll you get fewer, I think, in my opinion, you'll get fewer things that are like, well, this would be cool. But like, isn't this great how we architected this thing? But it's like, if it doesn't get that outcome, like who cares?
0: Right, right. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. And it's interesting. I. I'm hoping I'm not misquoting here but uh, I think believe Dave Gerhardt said uh what has this concept of marketing to the whole person right that it's sort of going beyond just you know what their job title is or what their yep. age is whatever it is and it, it sounds like that's it's sort of applying that to product as well right and that it's uh it's not just did I ship this thing that they said they wanted but did I ship this thing that helped them get to the place they were trying to get to
1: Yeah yeah I always I I always think about it as the end did it work you, and you know sort of adding that that question on to everything that you do because it'll just make for better products it'll make you make better prioritization decisions and it'll hold your it'll hold you accountable and I think that there is a big theme on you know product teams wanting to be autonomous and wanting to sort of have decision making power and to be collaborative and all this kind of stuff but if you can't You don't get to have that unless you're accountable to the outcomes, right? Right. So to me, if you want to be this empowered, you know, autonomous product team, you have to be accountable for making an impact. And so when we say shift isn't done, that means, you know, you have to complete your work and it's also a forcing function to be like, you know, the classic stereotype of like, well, it's, it works on my local. Like that's not good enough right like who cares if it works on your local right. like it has to work for the customer right so you can't just be like well i did it you know you, it has to sort of it forces you to see something all the way through the end
0: right and the, so i guess the next sort of question there is well how, how do you know that it worked uh all the way through yeah. the end because I, I guess that's like you say it's it feels safer to measure something that you know feels more in your control and it's also it's just easier to measure right you can say Definitely. "Did this thing get shipped by x date Whereas once you include the customer in that, there's sort of another another variable. How does that work? Like, are you working on, you know, first day adoption, first 30-day adoption? What's the sort of, are those metrics that are, you know, in yep. uh, in the scope of this? Or are you using other things to say, okay, this worked?
1: We So it's not that we don't measure whether or not we ship things. We do... Keep an eye on that. We do have dates and we see, we make sure that we hit them. So we are measuring that, but that's not the ultimate sort of end goal that we're looking towards, like you're mentioning. And you're right, it is, it can be harder and sometimes it might not be possible. So there's, I definitely recognize that there are situations in which you might not have access to the data that would tell you if it worked, in which case you might have to like come up with a set of input metrics that would would tell. Are like secondary to tell you if the thing worked. So there are definitely some complexities. I think for us, you know, in, in some cases you can just ask, right? Like you can ask your customer if it worked. You can ask them for their numbers. You can ask them if they got what they needed. So like you you can do things like that. Um, but I think it's more of an exercise to say, you know, what what is possible to measure? Do we need to add more tracking, different kind of tracking? Do more integrations? But is there is there a way for us to actually know if this worked? And I think I, I haven't run into a situation where it, it was literally impossible to get some sense. It's just, it might be a little bit harder and take a little bit more time.
0: Got it. Yeah, that that totally totally makes sense. And one thing that I want to sort of tie this to is I really love the episode that you did. Uh, sorry, referencing Build here a lot, which is, no, everybody should go listen to. It. It's yeah. a <laughs> great, great, great podcast. Um, but you did this episode at, at Hypergrowth um, with, with Rob Stevenson of keep, yep. um, and he told us a lot about, you know, what does it mean to build with your customers? And it sounds like that's sort of such a, uh, a core component of how you stay customer centric and how you stay close to customers is this idea of sort of partnering with yep. both in, you know, what should we build? Like, how do we improve the outcomes that you get? But also how do we know that we, we reach that sort of, you speak to sort of that aspect a little bit, um. And and what that means to have sort of that close of a of a partnership with customers.
1: Yeah, that's something that I I will definitely always sort of keep from my experience from working at Drift, um, because I don't think it had occurred to me in my prior roles that you could do this. And again, it's one of those things where like, maybe it's obvious in hindsight, but if no one ever told you this is something you could do, it might not seem possible. But what I like to do now is... No matter, like whenever we're building something that's kind of relatively big or new or something. And ideally it's something that, you know, hundreds, thousands, millions, however many customers you have would want. Right. But then if you know who your sort of ideal customer is and you have some sort of persona, if you have one, two, three, maximum five customers who really fit that persona to a T, being able to sort of pull them in really early and have, have them in a sort of trusted advisor role where that you can sort of give them your really raw ideas, show them concept designs, like get their feedback kind of ad hoc. I think that to me is like, they become a member of the team. And in the same way that with a team, you're saying, ooh, what about this idea? Or look at this design, or I did this analysis or whatever. If you have a customer that you can go to like that, you just get so much good feedback all along the process that i think is really invaluable that a it makes your product better but then b when you go to launch you have someone who's seen it from day one who really understands the product who hopefully loves it who's super bought in because their fingerprints are all, all are all over it and they're you right. know they can they can kind of feel like they got to make it what they wanted so i always try to make sure that i have like a partner on some customer team who's going to be able to go there with me and, and maybe they'll they're there are varying levels of willingness to like chat with me all the time. Like Rob is an example of someone who is super friendly and was like super into talking about stuff, but being able to have those people who you can be vulnerable with, I think, and be honest with is so important.
0: Yeah. That's one thing that I I really love about how, uh, at least, and this is from the outside, right. Or from, you know, following Griff uh, uh, pretty much since, since launches, Mm -hmm. uh, as a product person and as, uh, you know, as somebody just sort of generally interested in, uh, in this space is how synced up uh, product and marketing and product marketing and sort of all the functional uh, components of, of the company, uh, sort of synchronizing each launch, right? Mm-hmm. It's, and th- this may just be that it, you know, it may be sort of confirmation bias or whatever you uh, want to say, but like, it seems like whenever Drift launches something, it's a cohesive effort that is, you know, comes along with case studies and landing pages and sort of everything that goes into that. How, How does, is that something that is, I'm sure that's something that's intentional, but is that something that influences sort of the prior process in terms of actually, you know, bringing something new to market?
1: Yeah. So it is intentional. I think it's part of our DNA as a company that we work together we have a bit of an advantage in that we are building for sales and marketing so it's easier for us to work with sales and marketing so i will i will admit that um but it's we do it intentionally we have playbooks that we run we have checklists where you know we know we're going to have to have a case study we know we're going to have a landing page which means that we're thinking about that from the start so because we know we're going to launch like that we know working backwards what we're going to need to have including those several customers, we have a rule, we don't launch something publicly without social proof, which means we you have to, as a PM, you have to go out and get that customer, which is again, an, an amazing forcing function. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's something that we think about and and it does really impact how we build because it means that we have to make sure A, that we have those reference customers, but then B, that we're building something that matters. Because if you can't convince you know, your internal team that what you're building is going to move the needle for your customers. Like there's no way you're going to be able to convince people externally. So to me, it's kind of like the first step in the process is, can you, can you like meet the bar of your internal stakeholders that what you're doing is cool and matters and is going to be like a great launch? And if not, you better think about whether or not that thing is actually good or you've got the right story or you've got the right problem you're solving.
0: Right. Yeah. That, that absolutely makes sense that like for the, for those early customers put their name on something it has to be valuable, right? They have, to, they're right. going to get asked, their customers are going to ask, and especially in Drift's case, right? That it's not just, you're not just building a, uh, a product for your customers, you're building a product for your customers' customers. Um, right. Which I think is true for a lot of products, right? And it's something that is often, uh, or often—or is—is easy to forget that there's sort of that extra level of trust, which is needed for, for a customer to share something with the the people who are paying them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But we also, I think we do try to make those customers into heroes we love our customers and we love highlighting their stories and we think that's really fun. And so I think the like fun thing that we get to do is then we get to celebrate them. I think at one point we put Rob's face on a billboard in the town he lived in just to say, thank you. So like (laughs) we get to do cool stuff like that too. So, (laughs) you know, it's not, hopefully it's fun for everybody involved.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So to sort of bring this discussion, I guess, full circle, um, so you've talked about you know the the things that you have the, the processes that you sort of build internally to make sure that you, you've talked a lot about forcing functions, right? The, mm-hmm. the things that are sort of gut checks and that are um, sort of, uh, I guess, catches to make sure that you know you can't go too far without uh, if you're not close to the customer and if you're not building something that's valuable. So for somebody who is working at a company who maybe doesn't have that process in place, sort of that's not the culture, which is you know, part of the DNA to be uh, really focused on the customer. What, what's the first thing that you would, you know, uh, advise that they they try?
1: I would say go talk to some customers and don't ask them to look at a, a mock-up or to give you feedback on, or if they liked something, ask them what they care about, ask them how they are measured in their role. Um, I think this is especially relevant for B2B product managers, but you should know how your product your customers are evaluated in their performance reviews you should know like what they what they care about what they wake up thinking about um so i would say i would start there and then i would say that you can do most of this stuff in addition to the way that you're working there's nothing to say that you can't start the stuff or talking or doing some of this other this other work on top of the current structure that you're in, and I would say that the best thing you can do if you're trying to influence your company is when you're doing this, the quality of your insights and the quality of your product will go up, and hopefully, your work will work for itself. So I would say, like, don't don't get stuck in the fact that this is not how your your team works. I think it's really hard, and which is, it's really easy to hear someone else's the system and be like, well, yeah, that's great because they've said they're set up that way. Like, how easy? But there's nothing stopping you from, you know talking to five more customers this week or, you know, running an extra analysis on the side, you know, anything is definitely doable.
0: Got it. That's, yeah, that's great advice. I think it's, like you say, it it doesn't have to be that difficult. Uh, Right. The the bar can be a lot lower than you might, uh, might think when you see, you know, big research, research seems like it's a big, big project. It doesn't necessarily have to be that way.
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, like they're people, right? Your customers are just people and You can just talk to them. You can, um, I will do a a quick plug. We, or I have used, and I think you have used sometimes, a platform called Millie Giving. And I've used, and what you can do is basically send a gift card for them to send to a charity of their choice. I've used that to thank people for doing things. Like there's all sorts of things you can do to get people to talk to you. So I would just be scrappy about it.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on. This has been really awesome. Um, I've certainly learned a lot, which hopefully everybody else listening has also uh, learned something as well. Um, so thanks so much for, for doing this.
1: Great. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Hey, it's Stuart. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Customer Conversations podcast. If you like the show, like our guest, and especially if you learn something new you think will help grow your business, I want you to go to join. That's one place to get all of the content we're putting out, including the podcast, guides and courses with experts in SaaS and D2C, and all of the content from our blog once a week. Go check it out. Learnwhy.co slash join.